0: hello and welcome to sweet spot dfs this is a preview for the 2021 waste management phoenix open it's also the course fit video so i'm going to combine those two and primarily because i just didn't have time to split them up also the course fit isn't as packed as it typically would be like i don't have as much to talk about with course fit as i normally would primarily because i don't have the grass stats for this tournament um, and I'll talk about that when we get into the waste management because it is not Bermuda, it's not bent grass, it's not POA, it's ryegrass. Um, and I just I don't have ryegrass split up currently. Uh, so we'll, we'll get in that. So we'll talk... Okay, so what we would typically talk in a preview is just go over past results, historical salaries, look at optimal lineups as well as bucket systems. In the course fit, we would look at tournament fact sheets, weather forecasts, course breakdown demographics grass stats course history i'm going to condense a lot of that um i don't know if i'm gonna actually split those up in the timestamps but you can see what they are in the description below i also will have chapter mode enabled so the segments or the progress bar will be broken up into segments those coincide with the timestamps so let's go ahead and get into it and right away what i'm going to say we're going to go into the course fit part of it I want to talk about the tournament fact sheets. This is kind of like an intro to the tournament, where we're playing, that kind of thing. So Waste Management Phoenix Open is being played at the TPC Scottsdale Stadium course in Scottsdale, Arizona. You can see the dates up there. It's a par 71, 7,200 yards. Stimp is running at a 12, which is on the faster end of average. It's not the fastest the tour sees, but it's, it's pretty good, especially during this time of the year. Uh, We can see average green size, fairways, how many bunkers are in play, water hazards. I honestly, I mean, if I had the stats, so if you guys have the stats, look for golfers who avoid water penalties. I just don't know if anyone really has it, but it is a good stat to look at because really the aggressive golfers might, um, well, obviously this is going to happen at any golf course, but really any golf course that has a lot of penalties on it, your aggressive golfers are either going to to be rewarded more or they're going to be punished more. Uh, I think there's always a sentiment about how uh, Ryan Palmer always finds water. Well, you know, you look at your aggressive golfers who are always shooting at the flags. Perhaps those are golfers you can choose to fade or just deal with, you know, the volatility that will come with that aggressiveness. But either way... That's where you would look at water. Turf grass is something to talk about. So, a lot of people get super um, confused about this because they say, ooh, Tiff Eagle Bermuda grass. That means that is the number one grass. It's overseeded with these grasses here. Here's what I'm going to tell you. The first grass you see is the base layer. Now, if you don't know much about golf, you know, like golf superintendent or golf course management or anything like that. I've taken classes, so I, I feel very confident talking about this. Your base layer obviously is the grass that the, you could say is native to this golf course or that has become native. Sometimes grasses get implanted from all over you know, different regions. But for the most part, this Bermuda grass would thrive here during the summertime. Unfortunately, it is dormant. And what you need is the average temperature throughout the entire day. 24 hours, not just at one point in the day, but 24 hours needs to average 70 degrees. If we were to look at the weather forecast, you can see it is in the 70s, but that's the high. That's the high of the temp. It drops down to 44 during the nighttime. So, together, all the way through the day, that average isn't over 70. That means the grass isn't growing. It's become dormant. When it's dormant, you're not going to get the characteristics. It's kind of weird. Like, it doesn't die, but it is extremely um, brittle. So, it can get damaged easier than it would if it wasn't dormant. However, we don't really have to worry about that. I mean, in the rough, you're going to see this yellow... Yellowish, orangish grass, not orange brown, yellowish brown grass. That is Bermuda, but it is a shell of itself. Like it is not at all what you would anticipate Bermuda to be. It's very thin. You could you could have seen it in the uh, the American Express tournament in La Quinta. Yeah, it's mostly La Quinta, but basically the Palm Springs area. That grass is so easy to hit out of. It it really typically gives you like really it's a fluffy lie. It can provide a lot of flyer opportunities, um, but you're never going to like have to hack anything out of that grass. So that's one thing to to keep note of. Now it's overseeded with the, whatever the other grass is on the green. This makes it tricky. You know between these two grasses, which one of it is it seeded more, and it doesn't say. You know with the rest of these ryegrass and fine fescue. Now, ryegrass is the most general grass that any golf course uses for any kind of maintenance. It can grow in any type of temperature. Uh, It's really easy to regulate, really easy to maintain. Um, It's usually also what you find at a lot of Muni golf courses all over in the sand and seed bottles next to the par threes. All ryegrass because ryegrass works well with other grasses. Uh, it's not an invasive grass, unlike POA. POA is definitely an invasive grass, meaning it will take over a golf course. Um, Rawgrass is just kind of like, it's its basically Switzerland. You know, it's its neutral. It doesn't <laughs> favor one side or another, but it's really good to work with. Uh, it's the best analogy I could probably use, but I believe, and I remember hearing this on, on the Tourcast or the Telecast last year, You know, these rye, grass, greens, really easy to putt on. Basically, every putt is straightforward. There's no guessing of, you know, what grain is going to do or anything like that. That's why, you know, like certain golfers show up here like Hideki Matsuyama. Greens are typically flat. Grass is really easy to, to read. I think that's why Hideki and some of the bad putters, even like Benny Ann, they do well here because these greens are probably the easiest greens the tour gets throughout the entire uh season so i mean if, if if there is another course out there you guys can let me know but i'm pretty sure from what i remember in my notes that i heard over the telecast last year that's exactly what they said so um i could have writ wrote that down wrong but i i doubt it but either way i wanted to uh educate you guys on that i i have taken you know three agronomy classes in college i went to golf uh school for golf management i'm pretty familiar with the different types of grasses and i'm 95 percent sure that's exactly what's going on here anyways you can see the additional notes you can also get this sheet that you see here at this rate gcsaa.org um they did not have one for Farmer's insurance opened before the tournament started. But when I went to the website, it was there magically. So we didn't talk about it in the farmers, but I'm glad it was here. So there you go. Those are the core statistics. That's how the, you know, the tournament setup is that kind of stuff. The grass, everything. Again, I don't have ryegrass stats for golfers primarily because I don't have a database created just yet, but all in time, obviously we'll get there. We kind of already saw what the weather forecast was pretty perfect you know you will want to check wednesday night to see what the wind is going to do but as you can see right here we really don't see anything more than six miles an hour like we're looking at thursday to sunday and by six i mean eight um which it means it's pretty benign like these are going to be perfect scoring days so i would typically go to like a course breakdown from here uh i can give you this you know screenshot it whatever you want this is kind of my quick analysis of of the course it's pretty wide open like there there are no trees that are are going to basically force anybody to play a certain type of shot shape there is trouble but there aren't like skinny parts of the green that require certain shot shapes everything that you see here on the screen is just a preferred shot shape it's not a required shot shape more so a preferred because of how the the green is set up where the penalties are that kind of stuff this will make for a a a better chance of scoring so as i tallied it up off the tee we have two fades one draw and the rest of them doesn't matter into the green we have five draws and no fades Uh, there were some greens that i kind of saw a little knoll or whatever you want to call back right of the green where if they did put a pin there you'd want to hit a fade in but i don't know exactly how close they can get to those those spots um but i i believe i mean when we look at the results every single year we see a lot of golfers who draw the golf ball but we also see a lot of golfers that fade the golf ball so to me you know you always see Webb up here i think chez draws the ball um ricky at this time drew the ball but like you got a bunch of fade golfers here bubba likes to hit that big cut which would be like a draw for a right-handed golfer again that's where my draws and fades come from from the right-handed perspective so if you're lefty you just switch them and obviously bubba likes to hit that huge um huge cut but it's a good mix of both fades and draws Uh, and this is just from you know the knowledge that I have uh, with these golfers. Obviously, we know Bubba or uh, Webb hits a huge draw. Tony can hit a draw, but typically it's a fade, as does JT. Um, But yeah, it's a good mix between the two. I don't really think shot shape is going to matter. So we're not really going to talk about demographics. We could, When we get back, when we get in the DK page, maybe we will, just to see who's all from Arizona that might be playing well, that could play well here. Um, And we'll talk about course history a little bit later, but we can talk about past results. Since we're already here, uh, I want to talk about target score. Now, I am three for three on the season of target score where we can anticipate. And primarily the reason that I think target score is an important thing to think about is there are, you know, golfers have
1: basically different. What do you want to call it? Different builds, I suppose. You
0: know, some golfers are better built to score really low, some are better built to grind out pars. This, I think, is kind of an in-between, you know, it, it seems like the scoring is it's kinda of in the middle. So you could see certain golfers of, of each ilk doing as 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 good or as as well as the other however i think this week is going to be a little bit uh, lower scoring than usual i'm going to target a score between 18 and 20 under uh actually 18 to 21 under i know that's given me a little bit of a gap but i don't think i mean we see 17 17 18 17 um 14 15 16 and then 28 so on average or you know most of the tournaments are under 18 under or not under they're over 18 under. Um, so, you know, 17 down to 14, basically that's the majority of these, of these tournaments. But I think this year we're going to see 18 to 21. Um, I think there's a lot of good scoring golfers that are in the field this week. And when the, when the temps are going to be pretty benign, not the temps, but just the weather in general is going to be pretty benign. Um, I could see 20 under getting reached uh kind of easily so that's what i'm anticipating if you if you have you know what what i would do with those stats i don't have the capability yet but what i would do with those stats is look at every tournament that was 20 under or lower and target golfers that do well you know and and you can obviously use other stats in conjunction or in combination with those or with with that you know, target score 20 under or lower and find the best golfers that, that fit that mold. Um, but yeah, I would definitely, you know, if I had the stats, that's how I would look at it. So definitely consider that. Let's go ahead and get into historical salaries. Now I love looking at his, historical salaries. This is also three for three on the, on the year so far, since I've kind of brought it up since the tournament champion. So maybe it's three for four. Um, can't remember off the top of my head. I know we got the last three right. I I don't remember what happened to tournament champions, but um basically what we'll look at right away is like to come over to this like kind of analysis box if you will where it shows a summary of the winner, uh top 10, you know, the minimum, like the lowest salary golfer to win this tournament, the highest price, uh maximum minimum obviously. And then we can see in the top 10, what was the max salary? What was the minimum? So you can see, you know, cause if you have a bias, like I'm never gonna play someone who's lower than 6,500. Well, it might be worth the shot to do that. Um, and then going, you know, layers deeper here, I actually have it set out by price range. So we can call these price buckets. You know, this, you know, sweet spot DFS usually just goes everything by buckets. We can go by price buckets uh and 10k and above is one 9 to 10 is another 8 to 9 is another 7 to 8 and then anything really in 6k but there have been times where DraftKings has put in a 5k range but anyways anything below 7k uh you can see you know of all the winners what you know what bucket they fit in there what price bucket we can also see of all the top 10 golfers how many of them you know themselves in these buckets not put themselves but how many find themselves in these buckets so obviously we can see six 10k and above finished inside the top 10 you can see obviously the seven to eight k uh price range we see the most there and then obviously i should say obviously but these are the percentages of what those price buckets look compared to each other so 15.38 um finishes inside the top 10 for prices 10 and above and so on and so forth obviously 30 that 7 to 8k bucket is the greatest but we can also come down to this little analysis box and see of all the price buckets what are the total amount of golfers and this is going back to 2018 i shouldn't say that so 2020 to 2018 here are all the price buckets um and these are totals so If I were to go back to 2018, you can see the totals for each of those price buckets. I know I'm kind of repeating myself, but we have 14 total for the 10K and above, and then six of those finished inside the top 10, meaning 42.86% of 10K and above golfers finished inside the top 10. Now, what can you do with this type of information? Well, you can make a determination do I want to play a 10K golfer this week? You know, based off of who they are or how many there are, should I play a 10K golfer? And in all honesty, the more 10K golfers there are, it's just going to be easier to play. So obviously, if we have six 10K golfers, do we think two of them, at least two of them, will finish inside the top 10? I mean, if you take six and you times by you know 42%, you're going to get somewhere between two and three. So yeah, the answer would be yes which means it would be kind of foolish not to play a 10k golfer and likewise you can see all the other percentages you know nine to ten we don't really see a lot of but 26 percent of them actually here let me just pull up pull up the spreadsheet that way we can look at it together so we have five total golfers that are in the 10k um uh, and above price range what we would do is you know obviously 40 percent of that's going to be two obviously the 10k range is pretty loaded with really good golfers i think you know collectively they average out to be 4.8 in the world you know all top 10 golfers in the world well then we look at the 9k range we have seven golfers and that was at what a clip of 25 percent, basically or 24 percent um which is really meaning somewhere between one and two of these golfers are, you know, do we think one or two of these golfers are going to finish inside the top 10? Probably. You know, so then it's also kind of just mixed and matching who you think the best plays are. You know, if we anticipate two of these guys being inside the top 10, now we really have a dilemma because fitting both of those together doesn't leave a lot of salary options when it comes to creating lineups. So, you know, if, if Justin Thomas wins the tournament, but Rory's in second place, you know, is there much of a price break between those two where you could make a Rory lineup or would you want to, or play, you know, JT and Rory? Well, if JT and Rory are there one and two and say Daniel Berger is third it might actually be more beneficial to go JT Berger and then find your fill-in golfers that still finish inside the top 10, basically. If you, if you can do that, obviously. Um, so this is what I've learned throughout the you know, last year of really digging into this. We could estimate perfectly that only two of these golfers are going to finish inside the top 10. We could also say uh, with this lineup here, it's probably going to be three. If that's the case all that's great but we need to pick the right one so that's where it's like you know ownership do we go with one or the other personally for me if if it was only like you needed to pick one i would probably go heavy on certain guys but the fact that there are three i don't know if you're really going to miss out on on making a lot of money if you you know don't pick the winner out of this group but still get like the third place guy so I have no issue watering down your ownership with these guys, um, because I would want to pair them up with these. It's kind of going a little like super in depth, but that's the whole you know pu- uh, purpose that I want to provide, um, just so you guys have kind of a I don't know a, a good idea why looking at salaries matter and what you should do with that salary information. Now you can, you guys can figure out different ways to do with it, but I think those are probably the most optimal. Um, If we were to look at, you know, the, the highest range is the seven to eight K price range at 30.77% inside the top 10, but there are only, there are 141 of them, you know, throughout the last three years that that's looking at, that's only 8.5%. So you need to find of everyone in that seven K range that 8% basically. So, um, Basically, if I were to scroll down and look, we have 32 golfers. So 8% of 32, was that, like 4? You'd find 4 golfers that might finish inside the top 10. See, 10% would be 3. So I'm a little off. It's like 2 or 3, basically, you want to choose. Um, So out
1: of 32, it's going to be a little difficult. It's kind of worth mentioning, I don't know, optimal lineups, if we want to look at it, I have the optimal lineup here for 2019. Do I have it for 2018? Yes, but I don't have them marked. Okay.
0: Well, we can look at 2018. Everybody inside the top 10, no one is 10K. I'm sure we have one at 11. You know, in 11th place, we have two actually. We have John Rom and Ricky Fowler. If we're going to be honest with ourselves, we're more likely. It would be really foolish not to pick one of those guys in the 10K. Although it doesn't show up inside the top 10, I think, you know, still going with anyone in that 10K and above range, none of this would have hurt you in 2018, especially when everyone else was affordable up here. Still need to find the winner and most likely second and third place. Pairing them up with whatever, you're more likely going to win a GPP. So definitely don't worry about that going into 2019 okay the optimal lineup was nine four eight eight nine eight seven seven three and six four so that was extremely
1: balanced minus the six four golfer if we were trying to make kind of a if we we're trying to make a lineup that would
0: make sense we could still find every one inside the top 10, but you would have to select the golfers I chose. It wouldn't have been the optimal lineup, but it would have been really close. Again, what I'm trying to get at is you still can get your 10K golfer and above with the rest of them, but you're, you're more likely still going to have to find that 6K golfer. So 2018, you needed to, in the optimal lineup here, I think this was really, yeah, 50,000 was used. Using a 10K golfer, two nines, a 6K golfer, and two sevens. So in my opinion, so like last week, I said you needed a a 10K and a 6K, which isn't really difficult to come up with that type of analysis. I'm going to tell you, you need a 10K in this one for sure, and a 6K as well. I'm going to say you need a 10K, a 9K, and a 6K. So I would definitely build my cores around that. Uh, I really don't find how that's going to be an issue whatsoever. I keep forgetting to mention this in my other previews, but you can see the highest count salaries that show up don't really pay any attention to the actual salary, but it's more or less looking at how how close they are lumped to each other. You know, like I'm looking at 7100, 74 and 69. They're all within $500 of each other. Basically, it's like low sevens. We want probably one or two low seven high 6K golfers. Um, So I would definitely consider, you know, if we're going 10, 9, 6, maybe we find someone that's 7,500 and less, you know, for our fourth golfer, and then just fill it in from there. Um, Let's move on to the bucket system. So with the bucket system,
1: similar to the salaries, um, let's see if I can... there condense it a little bit. So it's easier for you guys to see. This is essentially looking at the exact same
0: stuff we were doing with the salaries. It's basically finding the frequency. It happens inside the top 10 and then basically the frequency it happens within its own totals. So this range percentage over here is looking at the totals in basically in these call or these tables down here. And com- comparing it to who shows up inside the top 10. Um, I guess I should actually start out with the bucket system is looking at finishing ranges of two different types of finishes last year and last week. And I always go by 20, you know, 20 spots for your finishing ranges 1 to 20, 20 to 40, so on and so forth. Uh, and then I total each one of those ranges. To find the highest ranked bucket, basically. So the lower the number you see over here, the better. And that's what we would want to be targeting or focusing. So your last year bucket one golfers are golfers who top 20 the year before. You can look here across, you know, every single year going back to 2014. Minus the the uh, 2016, where there were only, there was only one golfer that finished inside the top 10 who had a one to 20 finish the year before your minimum is three. You know, if we average this out, it's 4.4. 4. So I believe finding a last, you know, last week, what ended up happening was I had said, I think We wanted to find at least three last year bucket one golfers. They ended up being, every one of them ended up being 10K and above. That finished inside the top 10. We can't make lineups that way. So basically what I'm trying to say is I had to learn a little bit. And I I know I've, I've learned this in the past. We can't just, even though the minimum's that way, I think if we're looking at salaries for golfers, we can, I can already tell you, like, there are, there are four golfers who are last-year ones inside the top 10. Or not top 10, but the, that are 10k and above. Very good chance that two or three of these guys end up finishing inside that top 10. Meaning, I can't tell you, you need to play at least three. Because if I were to do that and it was those golfers that show up, sure, I'm right, but it's not going to help you out. I have to figure out a way how to do that, but you can see what the top 10 percentages of each of those, those buckets, each one, each one of those ranges. So obviously again, last year, bucket one golfers who top 20 last year, bucket two are golfers who did not play pretty darn close to the exact same uh, percentage. Those two together are 65%. So golfers who did not play the year before show up pretty decently. Here's the thing I've learned <clears throat> COVID messes with the numbers um
1: i think i need to move this down to 30 because i believe yeah this is one of the things i forgot to do uh during the farmer's insurance open i was trying to figure out what i was missing uh let's hold on here is that true look at everyone who did not play now there are way more who did not play where am i going okay so i'll have to figure this one out i don't understand why it's doing that it's obviously more than three that did not play the week before am i oh i'm not looking in the right range that was the other thing. There we go. Perfect. Man, I almost gave myself a heart attack there. Uh. Anyways, hope this is looking at the right stuff. It'd be really pointless to bring this stuff up if it wasn't. So what I'm trying to get at, or
0: what I was going with all of this... What COVID's done is it's changed the makeup of what these fields are. Usually you would find a lot of golfers who had not played the year before because you would have a lot of corn Ferry graduates coming in. Now, I believe this is kind of an invitational. There's only 132 golfers in the field. Uh, I'm not positive on that, but I would assume that this number would be usually lower we're going to find more golfers that did play the week before. In fact, you can see more golfers missed the cut last year in this field than any of the other fields. Same goes with did not plays there's actually less. So we're taking out of this bucket the did not plays and adding them to the um the missed cut bucket basically. When we look and we kind of compare those two to each other, there's obviously, you know, twice as many did not plays that finished inside the top 10 than there are missed cuts, but With the difference in numbers, we probably could add one more to this a year and take one away from this a year. So averaged, this is 3.4. And when this is averaged, it's 1.5. I would bump this up to two. You know, the minimum is two and bump this down to three. Or maybe two. Um, But again, that's just looking at top 10. I know I'm probably losing some of you guys, but hopefully you guys have been following along uh for the last week bucket golfers who did not play the week before definitely a huge uh, bonus those that top 20 would be the next bonus and that you know that range so 14.52 percent of golfers that finish in the top 20 find themselves inside the top 10 that's pretty good because obviously we have up to 20 golfers usually every single year that play in this tournament i mean can't have more than 20 unless there's a huge tie more than likely we see what do we
1: usually see basically somewhere between 12 to 20 or 12 to 19 in this uh
0: year's tournament there are 12 we can obviously compare you know 2020 and uh 2020 2019 and 2014 are all years where there weren't that many uh in that overall bucket we can see what the result ended up being. 2, 1, and 2. So I'm pretty comfortable playing at least 2 last week twos. That that played in the Farmers Insurance Open. Finished top 20. That are also playing in the Phoenix Open. So definitely consider that. I think that would be beneficial. And then you can see what the other ranges look like. Uh, the Did Not Plays. Very, very big number here. Uh 9.07 for the total range that's not terrible either so basically that's where i'm going to try to find my core plays using you know the percentages that i see with the bucket system combine it with what i'm looking for um with salaries as well and then go from there essentially i also look at the bucket combinations I store all of them every single year. I'm not gonna bore you with looking at all of them. We can also see, you know, with each of these buckets, this is something I've I've been forgetting to do, Uh, but how this reads is six out of seven years, there has been a one one inside the top 10. And if I can continue looking, obviously, basically every year, except for 2016, we see, Uh, a one, one inside the top 10 and not even just the top 10 inside the top five. So it would be very beneficial to find a one, one and kind of build your core around it. And if we are looking at the counts of top tens or top fives, I should say, or top tens, your last year, one, last week, one comes out at up at top. Uh, And this is looking just at top 10 percentages. This isn't looking at the total. I haven't yet been able to figure that one out to do. That would be over in this column over here, but of top 10 golfers, 15% of them are last year one, last week ones. Again, those are golfers who top 20 at the waste, uh, at the waste management open the year before and the week before, whatever tournament that was, usually it's the farmer's insurance. They did not play. So right away, I guess what we could do, look at
1: all of our last year one, last week ones. We only have eight of them.
0: And out of them, you have two guys inside or in that 10K and above price range. And then Daniel Berger, who is going to be a very popular 9K play. And then a, a couple other guys down here that are pretty enticing plays. Um, I shouldn't say enticing, but if you're going to fade any of these golfers, perhaps pick one of these guys up just to add uh, to your lineup. Now, again, that's six out of seven years, which would be, um, I think, what, 85%? I think it ends up being something like that. Um, you could use that to this field and say, okay, if I'm making 100 lineups, any one of these guys are gonna show up, not anyone, but total, collectively, they'll be an 85 out of 100 of my lineups. You could go that route, or you could say, <laughs> There's not going to be a 1-1 that's going to finish inside the top 10. Um, And at that fact, then it's just like, I'm I'm not going to play a single one of them. And that's fine. You can do that. Maybe there won't be one. Uh, I think it's highly unlikely. I think it's, you know, Webb or JT, you know, one guy, he won this tournament last year. The other guy finished third. I would think it would be fool's gold. Like, I think it would be really silly. And I think that's how I'm going to actually build my core. Uh, for my lineups, especially when I use the optimizer tomorrow in the strategy video, we're going to do it this way. So now that you see what the one ones are, we can look at our our second bucket to see which which one that is. or bucket combination, and, and it would be two ones. We see eleven, so thirteen point one percent. Doesn't show up that much uh, in comparison to the the one ones
1: inside the top five, but still not terrible. So who are our two ones? Not a lot of high price guys. We have Brennan Todd, Michael Thompson, uh,
0: Stuart Sink, Augenstein. You know, you see a bunch of these. I mean, here are some really good uh, rookies on tour: Davis Riley and John Augenstein. Um, I don't know if any of you guys followed the uh, Secret Golf guys of steve elkington and diane knox but knox actually had mcgurt i think during the sony open as one of her favorite plays or during the american express i can't remember which one it was and he was doing well then he wasn't <laughs> like i i can't remember exactly where it was but uh he was making the cut and i think he actually moved up the leaderboard where he was like in the top 10 for a little while Second round didn't treat him that well, though. So William McGirt at 6K, I'll be playing. I don't believe in playing 6K golfers more than 10%, but I think McGirt might get at least 5% of my ownership. So definitely thinking about doing that. I think that's going to be it, though. I'm not going to talk much more about the bucket combinations, but you can kind of see what they are. If you combine them with what the ranges were that I showed you, you can make up your own determination as to whether or not you think it's important to play them or not. Uh, So we looked at historical salaries, optimal lineup, bucket system. I didn't have recent form buckets ready for you guys. um, So that's unfortunate, but I think the last piece we're going to look at would be course history. Now, what I would typically do is we could, we could use the 2021 DK page, uh, but It can get a little messy looking you know we could go and sort by course history here what i want to show you is like there's no grass stats so i would typically be looking at grass stats that's why it looks so small here Uh, we can usually look at this but it doesn't really give us kind of the overall look not overall look but it doesn't really look into top tens or best finish worst finish anything like that so we're going to go to the course history tab here and look at some of the best golfers that are in the field what I want to do right away is remove all the golfers who've only had one event of experience. So we obviously see Nate Lashley, Louis who stays in Harry Higgs, uh, Zin Jang, those guys we can go ahead and remove. Um, and I guess we can look at, we can get rid of the rookies too. How about that? Let's look at the rookies really quickly. A lot of younger guys, Davis Riley, Eric Van Ruyen, Will Zalatoris, even Rory. Rory's a rookie at this tournament. Uh he's not a rookie on the PJ Tour, but has not yet played this tournament. So it's his first time. Um obviously you're gonna like him, but just wanted to throw those guys out there just to show you. But now that we have gotten rid of golfers who've played one tournament or less, here are your best course history guys. And one of the reasons why John Rahm's on the on the thumbnail is because of his course history. It is fantastic. is his average finishing position. Hasn't finished worse than 16th. I don't see that changing at this tournament. All the 10K golfers are in play for me. I don't think there's a bad play whatsoever. Matt Kuchar's next. Um, You could say Matt Kuchar hasn't been playing that great of golf recently. And I don't remember him really playing that well in 2020. But a 16th place finish, not terrible. And I think he's only 7K. Uh, So in the 7K range, not, you know, pretty good. Xander Shoffley, one top 10 finish, really good course history, but at his price tag, is this good enough? I don't know. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I was telling you before, Benny Ann has putted well on this golf course. 14.5 is his average finishing position with two top 10s. That's pretty darn good. Hideki, I mean, there's Max Homa here with two events. Um, I'm not sure if that's really worth talking about, but he's been playing pretty decent lately, so... He's he's also in play. Hideki Matsuyama probably has the best course history. If we take away his withdraw, 6.5 ends up being his average finishing position. And there obviously was a time where he had not finished worse than fourth. But his last two events, not the greatest. So, I mean, I say that not the greatest relative to what he had been doing before. But either way, really good course history for uh. Matsuyama. Sungjae's next, as is Bubba. Bubba, a lot of really good finishes. Uh, I, I think he's tied with the most top tens, but I just don't know how I feel about him at this, this tournament this year. I really don't. I He just really hasn't been playing the greatest of golf since uh, the restart of COVID,
1: and I don't know if it's the lack of fans that causes his poor play, but I don't know. It's
0: you guys can make with it as you will. And then obviously we have the last year's winner web here. I'm not going to go ahead and talk about all these guys, but you can see what they all are on the screen. Looking at uh, the most top tens again, it's Matsuyama, uh, but it's also Bubba. Bubba has is tied with the most top tens. John Rom with his limited, I mean, not limited, but compared to the other two guys, he has three. I strongly feel we're going to make that four. He's going to have his fourth top 10 here. Don't really think Kuchar's that much in play. Webb certainly can be, as can Daniel Berger. Daniel Berger has three top 10s. You know, a missed cut in a 58th place makes his his course history average a little worse. But I'm looking for guys who will top 10. And obviously, Daniel Berger's going to be a favorite of a lot of people. So, I mean, I don't think it's a bad play. I think it should be worthwhile to play. But I think that's where I'm going to leave... Uh, course history alone with
1: I don't know if I
0: have really anything else to go over let's see here could give you my best course corset plays but that to me entails like we need to know the grass stats Uh, and I'm not gonna go just strictly by course history that would be kind of cheating but yeah, I I mean, we're not on Bermuda grass, so definitely don't look at Bermuda grass. Course history I think will be pretty fantastic. Like that would be a good one to look at. I also think pairing them up with the bucket system would be a smart thing to do. I know you guys don't really have access to it, but I know tomorrow I'll be going through a little bit, you know, we'll be looking at the strategy of building lineups and I'll definitely talk a little bit more about the bucket systems. Especially including the strokes gain buckets, which have been a huge hit lately. Uh, and I think altogether we'll find our best place tomorrow. But I think that's where I want to leave it at. This was more of a preview. So I wanted to basically go over all the things that, you know, I feel a preview should have in it to get you guys thinking about who to play. Um, also, definitely thinking about the proper, you know... Horse statistics I want to I want to call it you know with knowing the grass stats knowing if a shot shape is required or not I know I was going to bring up um you know all the golfers that play in Arizona didn't really get to it I guess what I can do is just do a quick run run, run through right now so everyone who's living in Arizona you have it right here there are 14 golfers so pretty decent I would pause the video if you want to read them Again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I just want to breeze through it. The golfers that played in Arizona, you know, college-wise, are right here. We we see a couple that overlap, uh, which probably is a good sign. I mean, that's probably why John Rahm plays so well at this tournament. But yeah, I think now that we have that out of the way, it's a good way. It's a good time to wrap up. So. Thank you guys for watching
1: please leave a like comment and subscribe and i'll see you in the strategy video tomorrow okay bye